morning. Well, good morning. Um, glad you're able to uh, tune in uh, today as we um, continue just to pray, be united in prayer together to the Lord and uh, to hear um, just songs of worship, to sing to our God and just be reminded of his goodness and of his greatness, uh, to be encouraged by seeing um, some videos from brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Mike Copenhaver, I'm, I'm feeling as though um, I should have worn pajama pants or something um, here this morning. Very inspiring there. Um, good, to, good to see you guys in that way. Um, as we turn to God's word, and, and it's um, encouraging that we're able to um, hear God's word and to hear from God's word. We know God's word is living and active. Um, God's word is um, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so today we just come with that um, spirit to the word of the Lord, just asking him to speak to us, um, even as we um, interact in this way and to uh, teach us from his word. And uh, Lord willing, I pray to encourage us as we look at this passage today um, from Luke. So um, in the gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 39. And so that's our text um, that we're looking at this morning as we're just uh, continuing right along in the gospel. Uh, let's read uh, this passage and then we'll just um, ask God's blessing uh, on it this morning. So let's look at it together, Luke 5, 33. Uh, God's word says here, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often, and offer prayers, and so, so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new, new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, again, we uh, just thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your word, Father, even as it goes out in this way. We entrust ourselves to you knowing that uh, your word brings wisdom, conviction, encouragement, and your word is truth. And so, Father, we pray um, today that I pray for um, those watching, pray for um, our members of Redeeming Grace, maybe others that are tuning in and watching, Lord, would you instruct us from your word today? Would you, um, Lord, just give us hope in Christ from your word? And Father, we pray that your word would give life, um, spiritual life. We pray, Father, your word would give fruit and uh, encouragement in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us and uh, Father, thank you for how your word uh, applies to our lives in a very real way. It's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. 
Um, well, as we're entering uh, in back in last week in Luke, and as we're continuing in Luke um, today, the grumblings against Jesus um, by the scribes, by the Pharisees, by the crowds is is beginning to be louder and louder, and it'll continue to be so as we go through this book. Uh, controversies are arising. Um, they they have already and they will in the next chapter in Luke chapter 6 over, over the Sabbath um, and Jesus' action on it, and that'll continue on uh, through the rest of the gospel. Um, as we saw in the verses from last week in verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling because of who Jesus was eating with, who he was hanging out with, uh, eating and drinking. And it's that same thought from those verses that carry over into our passage today, verse 33 to 39. So you have the Pharisees, the crowds, maybe uh, it seems like the disciples of the Pharisees. Um, they're somewhat perplexed and they are angered by Jesus's actions and Jesus's ministry. Uh, so Jesus is going to use this as a, a teaching point here. Uh, he's going to use the statements coming from them about fasting um, as another opportunity to reveal something about himself uh, to the hearers and as uh, um, God's Holy Spirit would have it through the inspiration of God's word, likewise that we need to hear today. Uh, so after that, uh, Jesus, he comes here, he answers uh, a, a statement, and then he's going to give some parables um, to further explain his answer. And he's going to use this to teach. Um, he's going to use this to teach and to teach us about himself, showing us in particular how his presence brings about a new era of scripture. And basically what we're going to see in these verses is the, is the profound significance of Jesus's life and ministry, um, the profound significance of the coming of Christ uh, to this earth. Uh, and, the truth, uh, and the truth that we're going to see about Jesus in these verses has everything to do with us today. It's not only a word for them in this day and Jesus responding to a statement. It has everything to do with us today and how we understand Christ and how we understand the world and how we come to God. And so uh, hopefully those things will unfold as we look at these verses. So we're going to structure uh, this text just around kind of the natural flow um, of these verses. That is the crowd statement we're going to look at in verse 33 and the, then Jesus's answer uh, that he gives in verse 34 down through the end of the chapter, verse 39. So we're going to look at uh, just a moment, the, um, the crowd statements, and then what is Jesus teaching us by his response here? So look at verse 33 um, as we look at the crowd statement. Uh, it says just beginning there, it says, and they said to him. I want to think just for a moment about who the they is there. Um, who does that refer to? Uh, well, the last group of people that were responding here were the Pharisees and the scribes um, that were complaining over those that Jesus was um, eating with just a couple of verses above. Uh, but it doesn't seem that that's uh, who the they is referring to here in this verse as we look at it. Um, we go on and, and the they, what they say is, they say, look, the disciples of John are fasting and uh, offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. So it seems like he's, the they here is referring to kind of more of a generality of the people of that day, not just specifically the Pharisees, but also others as they make this observation. 
Um, and so why bother you with, with all of these details? Well, um, Luke wants us to see this is a larger question than just that of the Pharisees. Uh, many more people had this same concern, and it had to do with the larger Jewish community. Um, and the answer that Jesus gives doesn't just affect the Jewish community. The answer he gives likewise affects the larger community. So the crowd uh, comes to Jesus, and they said, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Um, Luke here in this passage, he doesn't uh, phrase this as a question uh, like the other Gospels do, Matthew, uh, but he, he, he gives it as a statement. And they're pointing out what they see as an inconsistency. Uh, they, they're, they're pointing out here not only a problem, uh, what they think of Jesus's ministry, but also a problem with Jesus himself. Uh, notice they connect the practice of the disciples of John the Baptist with the disciples of the Pharisees. Um, and their beef with Jesus really was a large issue. Uh, during this time period of the New Testament, fasting, um, and even in, in New Testament and Old Testament, fasting was a, a very big deal and a normal thing. It was even a major part of the New Testament era. And I think it's important for us to understand that to get um, kind of the magnitude of this verse. Uh, national fasts for all of the Jews were held on the Day of Atonement every single year and also a four-day fast as a memorial to Jerusalem's fall and destruction. And so individuals, individual fasts also occurred. Um, in fact, the Pharisees, we know by um, um, early church documents, they fasted every single week. In fact, twice a week, um, the Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, Mondays and Thursdays. And so they would pray specifically for the Jewish nation during, during that time. And uh, so we learn here, and it's no surprise, that the disciples of John the Baptist also fasted, which would go right along with the uh, ascetic lifestyle of John the Baptist. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the scene. Fasting is a normal thing. Many people viewed it as a, um, just, just a very spiritual thing, obviously, to do, to fast, to go without food, and to pray to God more on those days, asking for his deliverance to come to the people. And here comes Jesus and his followers. Instead of fasting twice a week, what are they doing? Well, many times they're going to uh, eat and drink, uh, even as we see here with tax collectors and with sinners. Uh, Jesus, and by implication his disciples, didn't carry this same sort of somber tone as John the Baptist or even the Pharisees in general. And so you can see uh, how the crowds would be concerned over this. Um, it was seeming like Jesus wasn't being very religious, and he wasn't teaching his followers to be very religious. Uh, they weren't uh, ascetic. They weren't fasting like this. Instead, they were feasting. Um, imagine, if you will, just think about the events right before this when Jesus went to call Levi, um, and he said, follow me, and Levi followed after Jesus. And um, what do you see Levi doing? He threw a party. Just imagine for a moment uh, he threw a feast with tax collectors and others. Maybe that was a Monday. Maybe that was a Thursday. Um, and here you have the Pharisees and others there fasting, and they look over at Jesus and his followers, and here they are out with tax collectors and sinners eating, 
drinking and feasting together. And so you see that sort of contrast, at least in their eye, that says, Jesus, something is wrong here. This doesn't seem right, what you are doing. It doesn't seem um, very religious. In fact, we might, they might even be saying, I'm sure they were, it doesn't even seem God-honoring what you are doing. Um, and so really they have this statement, but it's really a question. Um, it's kind of a pointed um, jab to Jesus. Um, this, uh, why don't you and your disciples do this? And so that leads us to Jesus's answer. So it wasn't a small question they were asking. Um, it really had to do with Jesus and the um, um, ministry that he was bringing. And Jesus answers in these verses, 34 and 39. Uh, we're going to break that down into kind of three points. We first see his initial reply, then he's going to give a couple of parables, and then lastly he's going to give an indictment um, against them. So Jesus' answer in verse 34 to 39. First off, let's look at his reply in verse 34 to 35. Um, now, I imagine Jesus could have answered more directly, more defensively, uh, with a sort of, uh, look, I pray and my disciples pray a lot sort of answer. Um, we know this is true from Jesus's ministry. Uh, he would often withdraw to, play, to pray like he did in verse number 16, even in this chapter. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Luke is going to record that um, in Luke chapter 11 when we get there, the model prayer. Um, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, his whole ministry was in communion with the Father, and he would teach his disciples to live the same way and call on them to pray um, and to go away to pray. Um, but Jesus didn't answer like that. Instead, he used this as a teaching moment. And he teaches them and he teaches us some very important truths about who he is and basically how the new covenant has dawned upon them with his presence. With Jesus' answer that he gives, he is teaching them and he's teaching us that the deliverer has come. The savior has come and this changes everything. Fasting is important, but it's not ultimate. There will be a time and a place to fast, but the practice of fasting is based upon the person and work of Jesus who is standing before them. And uh, that's what we uh, need to see as we come uh, to this. That's what they needed to see, and that's what Jesus is going to call us to in these verses. So Jesus answers with a, uh, a reply that illustrates the current reality that they are in. They did not see this reality, uh, but it was the current reality that they are in. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Um, Jesus gives this analogy um, here in stark, uh, memorable analogy that he gives. Um, have you ever been to a wedding before? Um, have you ever been to a wedding? Have you ever been uh, invited to a wedding reception where there was eating and there was feasting? Uh, if you have, you know that it's a glorious time, uh, especially if you're a guest because you're feasting on somebody else's tab, which is always nice. And uh, so that same practice was there in the New Testament. Uh, their fasts would last, uh, feast, excuse me, would last a very long time, in fact, longer than just one meal. Uh, there would be food, there would be wine. It was a time of celebration. 
right? You're celebrating, and it's a time to uh, show that with your actions. And how crazy would it be uh, then and now for somebody to be there at a wedding saying, uh, I'm fasting. Can you picture it? Maybe if you're sitting at the table with them, uh, they bring the food by and you say, no, that's, that's okay. Um, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm, I'm not eating or drinking. Um, maybe you would be excited if you were sitting by that person. You would say, just give me their plate. It's already been paid for. I'll take it. Uh, but you see that this, this is a, um, a crazy thing for somebody to be at a wedding feast and you, you'd be thinking, man, you chose the wrong time uh, to uh, buckle up here. You know, you, you need to um, resemble what's going on. Um, and so Jesus gives this analogy that would have been, you know, crazy to their ears like it is to our, our ears. Um, and so what is Jesus doing? There's some very important truths here. Uh, Jesus is equating himself with the bridegroom. The period of his ministry as a time of celebration and significance. Jesus is equating those two things for us in this text. Uh, remember that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding in Canaan, turning the water into the good stuff. This picture that we see here is really profound, and it's filled with meaning. The Old Testament would use imagery of the groom and a wedding to portray the Savior that was to come, the Savior that was to come to his people. The same imagery is used of the New Testament to refer to Christ as the groom and his church as the bride. And the great marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come when Christ returns. And Jesus is teaching, look, that time is now, that time is here, the groom has come, I am the bridegroom. And it's a time of celebration, it's a time of joy. Fasting is fine. And this isn't really Jesus giving uh, teaching on fasting here because he just uses that as a trigger to teach them a truth. Fasting is fine. It'll be appropriate in the future. Um, and even here, Jesus alludes to his death, doesn't he? Somewhat cryptically. He says, when the bridegroom is taken from you. So he's referring there to uh, his coming death on the cross when he would be taken away. But as it is, the one whom they were fasting for was present right in front of their very eyes. Uh, as one commentator puts it, the very event that much fasting commemorates the deliverance of God's people is present in him. It's present in Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted them to see this reality. He's teaching them, look, the very thing you're fasting for, the deliverance of Israel, I am here standing in front of you. The bridegroom is here and it's a time not of fasting it's a time of joy it's a time of celebration because our savior our deliverer jesus has come and luke records this so that we also can see this very same reality the same joy i think that characterized jesus's disciple disciples and ministry um, should likewise characterize the disciples of Jesus today. There is a time and place for mourning, no doubt. There's a time and place for fasting. Um, but overall, big picture, we should be characterized by joy because our Savior has come for us. The bridegroom has come, and he will come again. 
And so let that truth sink in uh, this morning. Even amidst all the uncertainties of life, even, even amidst our current kind of as we have our head focused on today, last week, today, maybe numbers of sickness and cases and when are things going to um, um, open back up and all the chatter about when and how that should happen. Let us just let this truth sink in. Our deliverer has come. Our savior has come for us. He has come to redeem us. He has come to save us. We have joy that should characterize us. Just think of Levi for just a moment, uh, just a couple verses before. Levi, we could say maybe he, he, he lost his job. He left his job. He is now following Jesus, and his joy is uh, uh, complete, right? He's following Christ. He's throwing a feast to, to show others and point others to the same Jesus who saved him. He had lost these things. I imagine there is uncertainty. I imagine if his parents were still living, um, you know, people in his family, they would think, Levi, what, what are you doing following this man that is, is, is proclaiming to be the son of God? They would think that he had sort of probably lost it. What you're lay, laying aside a very lucrative position to follow after this man? And you can imagine the, the things that were said to Levi, to Matthew, for doing this, but he was happy. He was happy to do it all because he was able to see who Christ was, the person that was calling him. So uh, encouragement for us today through the gospel, just to let that truth sink in of the bridegroom has come to us. Maybe you're watching today and um, you would just be honest and you would say, well, I'm, I'm uh, not trusting, I'm not believing in Jesus. I don't know what you mean um, when you're saying to believe in Jesus and to uh, be happy about that and joyful by that. We would just share with you that God's word teaches us that we are happy because we are sinners. God's word clearly shows us we have broken God's law, we've broken his commandments, and that we deserve punishment from God. But the good news of the scripture is that God has sent a savior, a redeemer, a deliverer to forgive us of our sins and to die on the cross for our sins and to free us and to rescue us. And God's word holds that promise out to you today. Receive Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That simply means believe the promise of God. Believe that Jesus came and died for you and paid for your sin. Confess your sin and trust in Christ and you will be saved. And so we encourage you to believe in that truth today and to look to God's word and look to what God says about how we can be forgiven of our sins. And so Jesus answers there. He gives an, an answer with a, a, a larger answer of showing that the bridegroom has come. He gives an explanation following in verse 36 and 38. So he further teases out um, what he's saying to them. I think he's driving the point a little farther home with them. Uh, like so often uh, Jesus did in his public ministry, he spoke in parables. Um, here he gives two parables to teach us basically one same point, and that is Jesus' teaching is not compatible with their current traditions, even though they're related on the Old Testament. It has to do with how 
they view Jesus. And we have to sort of uh, zoom out from this time period of the New Testament to see how Jesus is answering them with these parables. Um, it has been well said that there is both continuity and discontinuity with the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, or to better put it, the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Um, we call it the New Covenant for a reason, right? It is new, it is different, and it is that difference that Jesus is touching on here. There, there are many similarities and continuity with the Old Covenant, but there's also discontinuity, and that's what these verses are, are, are focusing in on that discontinuity to show us um, how that is a reality through the coming of Jesus Christ, bringing about ultimately the new covenant. And so these verses are loaded with meaning, meaning that the rest of the New Testament uh, fills out, but we will um, jump into them today. So first, Jesus uses the imagery of a patch in joining two different garments. Um, my guess is that this analogy isn't as common today as it was in Jesus's day. Um, I don't see many patches uh, today, folks walking around with patches on their clothing, uh, maybe because folks uh, buy holes already in their clothes when they buy them brand new, I don't know. Uh, but in ver verse 36, Jesus uses this analogy. He says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece of the new will not match the old. Um, Luke's analogy here would have sounded crazy to his listeners' ears. Uh, you have an old garment that needs fixed. And I take it in this day and age, you know, we have an old garment. Uh, we, at our house, usually rip it up, use it as a floor rag, or we throw it away or something like that. But that's not the practice here. You would fix that garment. Um, and the picture is you have an old garment that has a rip. You take a brand new garment and rip a piece off, you ruin the new garment, you rip a piece off to put it on the old garment. Makes no sense to do that. Uh, it won't work. You not only mess up the old garment, you completely just messed up the new garment in the process. Um, and so what Luke is teaching us here is, look, Jesus' teaching is not going to mix with the traditions of the Pharisees or even John the Baptist. There is discontinuity that we see here with the old covenant second image imagery is that of new and old wine uh, just like we don't see many patches today i dare say we also don't see much wine being poured out of a tan skinned of a goat uh, but that was common in jesus's day look at verse 37 it says and no one puts new wine into old wine skins if he does the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed, but new wine is, must be put into fresh wineskins. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this explained before. Uh, new animal skins, as they're new, they could flex, uh, they could expand. Uh, wine would then uh, be put into these new skins. The fermentation process would happen, yeast eating the sugar, grapes giving off gases that cause the skin to expand. And after a number of uses, the skin could expand no more, so it would have tapped out. And if you put new wine into that skin, of course, it couldn't expand. What would happen? It would burst, and you would ruin your skin, and worst of all, you would lose your wine. Uh, so what do both of these analogies or parables teach us? I think they are teaching us here that what Jesus offers is not mixable. 
Now, I'm sure that Jesus' followers and those present uh, didn't fully understand the implications of what Jesus was teaching. Uh, But the main point is on the person and work of Jesus. What he brings cannot be mixed with the old. It is new. You, You cannot take Old Testament Judaism and just add Jesus along to it. It will not work. Jesus brings the new covenant in his blood, the forgiveness of sins through his substitutionary death on the cross in our place. Luke continued to write about this, of course, in the second volume of Acts. Uh, We especially see this played out. Uh, What about circumcision? What about circumcision from the old covenant? What about the dietary laws of the old testament? What about the observance of the Sabbath day? That'll be um, next week's passage. Can you just add Jesus to that and kind of carry on? Can can you just add Jesus right along with that and be good? And the answer here is no, you cannot. And in many ways, the rest of the New Testament is clarifying this teaching uh, and clarifies the discontinuity of the covenants and what Jesus calls us to and what Jesus brings in the new covenant. You don't just add Jesus to the concept of circumcision. You don't just add Jesus uh, and continue to make sacrifices in the temple. Uh, This thought leads to Jesus's final statement in verse 39, uh, a statement that's unique uh, to Luke's gospel. It's not in the other uh, synoptic gospels. And it's the third point here uh, of his answer, and that is the indictment, the indictment in verse 39. Look at it with me. He says, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Generally speaking today, um, if you ask someone if older wine is better than newer wine, um, you typically know the answer. Even if you don't personally drink wine, you probably know the answer. The answer is yes, yes, older wine is better than newer wine. Well, that same saying was there in Jesus's day and the same truth. Folks knew that aged wine was better than new wine. So what is Jesus saying here? What's he, what's he getting at? Uh, if, if the old is better than the new, um, is, is Jesus saying that the old covenant is better than the new covenant? might seem that way as first, first blush as you read this verse. Uh, but what Jesus is basically saying here is that those who like the taste of old wine will not desire to drink new wine. They like the old, and that's that. They like the old. So basically, Jesus is here indicting those listening to him, saying, you're going to like the traditions and the ways of the old covenant, and you're not going to like the new things that I am bringing. You are going to like what you have. You're going to like what you've been used to. Uh, the traditions and the ways of the covenant that you were raised in, and you are going to not look to me and to my teaching. And that is what we see many of the Jews, not all, of course, but many of the Jews in this time period of the New Testament um, exactly doing. They did not want to come to Jesus and acknowledge who he is. And we still see that carrying on even to this day with many of those in the Jewish nation. They are holding on they like the taste of the old instead of the new and so i think jesus is there kind of coming in around the corner giving a jab to those that are listening 
um, saying, look, I know you're not going to receive what I'm saying here because you, you're holding on um, to the new, to the exclusion of me. You're not going to receive me as the Savior, as the Messiah. So in, in conclusion today, as we think about these verses, um, I dare say that most uh, of you watching are not tempted to mix circumcision or the tradition of the Pharisees or even the ascetic ways of John the Baptist with Jesus and his teaching. But I would say that we are tempted to mix other things with the new teaching, uh, the new to them, the kind of the old to us as we look back on it, but the teaching that Jesus brings to us. We are tempted, I think, very much to mix a little bit of works righteousness with the wine of Jesus, to think that you can do some good works to make God grant you salvation, to think that if I live a little better, if I do a little more, then God will accept me, then God will love me. If I do this, in other words, to say if I live right, then God will grant me salvation. And if I live wrong, God will not grant me salvation. Listen, you can't mix that type of stuff with what Jesus brings. The grace of what Jesus brings and the reality of his life and his obedience for us is his teaching, and it is not mixable. Jesus calls upon us to trust in his works and what he has done in him alone for salvation, not the things that we do. As the song states, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Nor is it possible to mix on the other side of things some sort of easy believism with what Jesus offers. As if to say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but for that not to have any impact upon your life. We've been looking at that in um, our uh, equip study of James in particular today. We looked at that. Uh, of faith without works and we know that someone who has been truly saved likewise will be affected from that they will produce fruit you can't just say that you're trusting in Jesus but that not bring about change in your life you can't just say yeah I'm I'm a Christian and for that not to affect you that's not what Jesus brings that's not the teaching of the new covenant no, the pure garment of Christ, the new wine that he brings, is a call for us to trust in him alone for salvation and to die to ourself. Jesus calls on us to seek him, to follow after him. Jesus calls on us to be about the hard work of renewing our mind according to God's word, to be conformed to his word. Jesus calls on us to put to death the things of the flesh and to bring to life the things of the spirit to put off the old ways of the flesh and to put on the newness of the spirit jesus calls upon us to fight jesus calls upon us to endure the bible calls on us to persevere in our faith and so if that is you this morning i pray that you would be encouraged just by the new teaching that jesus brings and I think just specifically kind of today, this last week, this next week, man, how much do we need that? We need that especially right now. Um, 
one of, one of the concerns I have and the, and, and the elders have is, is we, uh, obviously, is just not being able to see you and to interact with you. And we desperately hope that during this time that the, the best thing you can do is lean into Christ, follow after the Lord, seek after him in your life, grow in your faith, use this time to grow in your faith and to follow after our Savior and his teachings and God's word. With our frustrations, with the difficulties that arise, with um, anxieties, with loneliness or maybe even being stuck cooped up in in a house with others that you are, are constantly with we need to be drawing near to Jesus Christ in this time we need to be following after him and living in obedience to him and receiving the new teaching that Christ has brought us that's what the unmixed call is for us today the unmixed truth and the pure doctrine and teaching and drink that Christ offers to us. To trust in Jesus alone to forgive you and to follow after Jesus with your life, to come after him. Jesus' arrival had a profound and significant impact upon this world. It did for them and it does for us today. The deliverer has come. The Savior of the universe has come to this earth for us. The bridegroom has come. And the bridegroom, as we know, and what Jesus will teach, will come again. Let us receive him. Let us follow him with our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the teaching that Jesus brings and how your word continues to flesh that out from the gospel of Luke onward. Father, we pray today that we would be those who receive your word, those who uh, come to Christ and to him alone and what he brings and what he offers. Father, we pray for our dear brothers and sisters in Christ watching today. I pray, Lord, that you would just bring encouragement from your word as they're seeking to live in obedience to you seeking to apply your word to their lives. Father, would you grow them in that, encourage them in the right path that they are on. And Father, would you help us to persevere in our faith and to be all about producing good works in this time, this season, with how you would have us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.